What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You are listening to Habsent Minded, Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting contests and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team, and remember to use our promo code Believe F B L E A V for your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, the game starts here. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded, a mini version of the Top Twenty Five Under Twenty Five. We're going to do a Top Ten Habs Prospect halfway through the season, more or less. And who could be a better guest than Hadi Kalakesh, a co-writer, a co-worker, and now running, more or less, Dobler Prospect. Hadi, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, a lot of Habs prospects having great seasons. Excited to talk about this. Yeah, there, there really is. And we should, we, we, have, we should mention the rules, really. And what we have said was we have a cutoff line of 10 NHL games uh, before you... Are ineligible for the road uh, for 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 this exercise is the word I'm looking for, um, <laughs> and and uh, we have also picked if, so we're picking top ten players ten games or less in the NHL and we have a few HMs honorable mentions and Hadi that was pretty you know in the end we almost ended up with fifteen guys each <laughs> exactly yeah uh, I've got my five HMs here and. I mean, a couple of euros in there, but um, you know, I've been watching a lot of the North American side, so um, been focusing on guys like Luke Tuck, Cedric Guindon, um, those kind of guys who you know I really, really like. But there's just a there's a depth of quality in the HAP system that we haven't seen seen in a while. So those guys ends up in the, end up in the HMs. There is, as you mentioned, a depth of quality, but there is not really that edge, the quality edge that you want to have. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, the, the edge and quality that you have is already in the NHL. Yuri Slavkovsky, Kaden Gouli, Jaden Struble, um, those guys for me have kind of cemented themselves as NHLers. And I'm especially impressed with the, the strides that Jaden Struble has taken this year. I mean, yeah. I expected him to to have that poise, that composure under pressure, and that breakout game translate really, really well to the NHL. But to what extent? I, I mean, I wasn't expecting this. He he basically stole Justin Barron's job by being able to do the things that Justin Barron isn't really good at doing, uh, yeah. which is... And, and what happens to Barron now? Yeah, I mean, Barron... Um, I've I've never really been the biggest fan of his of his breakout game of his mm-hmm. defensive game. Um, he's always been a really f- flashy skater um, with really good active activation. You know, he's a player who mm-hmm. constantly joined the rush and create offense. But you know, when you're that bad with your back to the play, you you can't really keep up with the NHL pace. And like that's the one thing that Jaden Schrubel is excellent at is he's so good at feeling pressure on his back and making plays under pressure. It's it's a, it's such a stark contrast between Schrubel and Barron. I would have loved to see them on the same pair. I don't think they ever played on the same pair. But yeah, it's really it's really interesting that you know a, a player with such an alluring skating stride with such great offensive tools, a booming shot. 
manage to struggle so much at the NHL level. You know, that conversation also applies to another big smooth skating right-handed defenseman in the HAP system that we'll talk about in a second. But uh, yeah, uh, Trubel's just, just been amazing. And the things that he does well are just exactly what you need from an NHL defenseman. On top of being just a monster physically, a great skater, um, a, a decent stick handler and shooter. It's just what really makes his game tick is the puck is a, is, a, is a puck handling under pressure. His ability to handle that pressure and play off of it has been amazing. There is a reason why he's not on those lists that we have in front of us right now as well, yeah. because he, he is solidifying himself as an NHLer, and that's Absolutely. why we left him out. Um, honorable mentions. Um, let's start with the North Americans. Absolutely. Uh, so there's one in the AHL, uh, Riley Kidney. Uh, he's been pretty decent this year. Uh, the the progression to the uh, to the pro game had was you know kind of a bit more of a a growing pain with Kidney. At the start of the year, it was very clear that he was still playing that junior style, still playing at the perimeter. Um, even though the the inside game that he added in his final year uh, in uh, in the queue really add really helped him kind of improve those those elements right. So Kidney in his draft year was just the most peripheral player I'd ever seen. He was constantly playing around the perimeter. By this last year in the queue, um, he had become such an inside driven driven player. And as the season progressed in the in the AHL, he went from being really peripheral by force, kind of being forced to the perimeter to finding ways to kind of bypass his lack of size and work towards the inside and play well, um, play well between checks. So that progression is what puts him um, just outside of the uh, honorable, uh, just outside of the top tens for me. And yeah, I mean, he's having a decent rookie season. Uh, it's not too bad. Uh, apart from the AHL, though, I've got two North American prospects playing in the junior systems. Um, Cédric Gaindon has been great this year uh, for Owen Sound. Um, he's, at, he's at about a point per game. You'd like to see a player um, put up more than a point per game. Um, he's at 51 points in 53 games so far. And I think the main thing is with Gaindon, he's a really, really cerebral player, but doesn't really have as many physical tools. Um, not a high-end skater, not a high-end puck battler, um, doesn't have the the, the leverage on, in board battles to get off the boards with the puck. Um, he's mainly a player who will will create offense in small increments. So in, in half-second, one-second puck touches is how he creates his offense, either, you know, a little inside out move down low for a shot or, you know, a give and go pass uh, at the front of the net, that kind of stuff. But there's, there's a lack of uh, linearness in this game, if that's even a word. Um, so, yeah. And, and that's the full opposite of Luke Tuck, uh, who's also a, another North American player on this list. I mean, Luke Tuck is just, he's an extremely linear player. I've seen a bit more progression in his ability to kind of anticipate play and see these lateral passes. Like, there were a couple passes this year that he's made. I'm like, oh wait, that's that isn't a skill set. Uh, where he just he 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 collects a rim pass and you know takes one quick look and the pass is zipped on his teammate's stick in the slot, that kind of thing. But overall, what you're getting in Tuck is a dump and chase, um, dig the puck out of boards type of player who loves to just barrel down the ice and off the rush and and shoot it as well. So just a really kind of straight line player. Whereas Gaidon's a bit more of that cere- cerebral kind of lateral player, right? So two different players who both end up in, in my honorable mentions for, for different reasons. Yeah, and, and I actually have no, because I have I obviously don't watch as much junior hockey as you do. Um, yeah. Kidney sort of, I, I didn't even remember he was in, in, in AHL at this time. Yeah. So, so that's why I don't have him ranked. On the other hand, I have Wolochen. Uh, ranked in my honorable mentions the, the season he's having in mhl is 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 crazy good it's and yeah <laughs> it, it, it's a it's a junior league with high uh scoring and and he has a 1.6 goal against average he's nine four save percentage you know 16 wins three losses four losses in overtime it's 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 crazy good for a junior goalie yeah, and who doesn't play for for Ska or or for Seska uh, or maybe even Lokomotiv? Those are very very good numbers. And and the fact that you have his rights, as we're going to talk about someone else later on, uh, for eternity more or less, uh, <laughs> means that you you don't have to rush him either. And and he can have the long Russian school. And we know what kind of Russian goalies has come out from in the last decade. Um, very very strong foundation. 
I, I that is an honorable mention that I'm happy to have on my list. For sure. Yeah, I really haven't watched uh, the MHL all that much. I've mainly been focusing on the North American side, but, um, you know, when I do watch the MHL, it's more for players that are in those big programs. So I've watched like Matt Shurevin, um, mm-hmm. you know, Igor Chernyshov, um, Yegor Surin, those kinds, kinds of players in the MHL for like a game or two. But Volokhin hasn't stood out um, when they played against him and I haven't really honed in on his game. Uh, so I'll take your word for it. But yeah, just looking at the numbers, it's absurd. In, you know, in, go- in, in a way, if he doesn't stand out as a goalie, you're doing a pretty awesome job. Yeah, absolutely. As long as you don't uh, look foolish, you're, you're good on uh, between the pipes. Absolutely. Uh, we do have a couple Euros in common though, right? Yeah, I think uh, I think we have uh, for as a honorable mention. And the question is, if you have the same honorable mention, we, I know we have one. And and let's mm-hmm. talk about him because he's really come into the radar the last couple of months since he was moved from, you know, a team that is doing very well in the SHL and where he performed very well for the role he was given, into mm-hmm. a small town team playing their first season in hockey Alsanskan, Philip Eriksson. Yeah, and and you know. I was sitting thinking with Anton and I was sitting talking to some of the Vecco reporters uh, that should he have been in the Swedish under-20 team? And in a way, he shouldn't. In a way, there was not one forward spot that I could take away and say that would have been Eriksson's. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's why he has fallen off a little bit from from the radar of the Canadians. Also, a sixth-round pick, you don't focus as much on him. Uh, But he's putting up over a point per game in, in... Sweden's second league, which is a pro league. Yeah, and absolutely. As a junior, which is, I mean, like he's almost a year uh, later than Meshar, who's getting a lot of credit for his work in juniors mm-hmm. and, and a strong world champion, world junior championships that we're going to talk about later. Hashtag spoiler alert. But, <laughs> but, but Ericsson is doing it against pros, against seasoned men, against veterans. And absolutely. that is impressive. For sure. Um, what's really impressive with Ericsson is just the, I mean, there is a significant gap between the SHL and the Alsvenskan, but I mean, Vecho is a good program. They've got a, a, a you know, a, a bunch of really good players. Um, I've, I've watched a bunch of their under 20 team this year. There are a couple mm-hmm. of really highly touted NHL draft defensemen mm-hmm. um, on that end. Uh, there's a massive gap there, though, and I think that Ericsson's game this year has just clearly been a pro game. Like he's a he's a solid defensive player. He anticipates play really well. He gets into lanes early, and um, a lot of his points will come off of really good defensive plays where he just rushes the puck up the ice and, and does a good job. Right? Um, he's and then, he's done he, he's he's done a few of those Dutch Gretzky things as well, where he just skates out of the uh, of the zone a little bit too early. Yeah, uh, but also his his strength is really the passing game, and he's the hub of the power play in in hockey Elsenskan, which gives him a freebie on some points, definitely. But yeah. it's usually his pass that sets up the the, the scoring. Yeah, my only concern is, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know what division Nubro plays in uh, in the Elsenskan, but like. Um... I've heard that there are significant gaps also within divisions yeah. um, in the Auschwitzkan, right? So yeah. not, not all divisions are created equal. Um, so, you know, that's one thing I'd keep a look on. I've, I've mainly caught his SHL tape, but I mm-hmm. uh, haven't watched an Auschwitzkan game yet. But, mm-hmm. I mean, 17 points in 15 games against men, you know, at, at his age is good regardless, right? Yeah. And and the fact that he's doing it in a mid-tire team that is first having their first year in hockey Auschwitzkan after coming up from Division One. Uh, is is also a strength. He's not doing it on one of the top teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, the bonus that he plays for a mid-tire team and and who's falling in the ranking as well. Um, yeah. But is that he's getting those first line minutes instead? He's getting twenty minutes a night, and he's getting the power play. He's getting the box play. So yeah. so he's learning at a very high level. Absolutely, and that's what you need. Um, but yeah, I think we also have Vincent Rohr in common here in our honorable yeah. mentions, right? Yeah. Uh, someone also that has fallen through the cracks for many uh, playing in and, and I can't state this enough uh, the team with the biggest budget in in, in Europe by far <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're not Absolutely. even joking here by yeah. far I think I think they have a a, a, a squad budget that is double the, the top team in Sweden yeah and the top okay. team in Sweden doesn't have the biggest budget in Sweden that's the other thing but but just as an example the one with the biggest player budget in Sweden is one of the bottom teams right now. Sirius Lions, 
they have twice that easily. Yeah. And and absolutely. to be able to to play on the third, fourth line, getting those extra minutes on, on power play two, fantastic. For sure. Um I've I've caught a decent amount of roar because I've been scouting Leon Mugli uh mm-hmm. recently. And um is it Mugli or Ustinkov? I forget which one plays Ustinkov. With Ustinkov, yeah. Yeah. Um and and yeah, I've I've caught him a, a decent amount, and you know I, I don't I don't see much progression I would say in this game. He's more or less the same player he was last year, but just has you know the challenge for him this year was taking his junior toolkit and making it a pro toolkit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's learning to do that gradually, learning to kind of, to kind of figure out what works and what doesn't mm-hmm. uh, against men. And the Swiss National League this year is, I mean, there's been a huge step up in quality as well because we're talking about a, a level where like a lot of the players who would be playing in Russia or migrating to Zurich uh, to, to, to the Swiss National League instead because like I said the budget and massive they're they're able to afford paying their players good money and um yeah it's it, it's you know I believe he's been playing in a bottom six role um if I remember correctly and yeah yeah mainly I mean this is a type I, I think this is the type of role we can expect from more at the NHL level if he develops a way that he can I don't think you'll ever get a top six player out of him but what you're going to get is a ton of energy a ton of aggression a ton of violence uh, off the rush um and and, 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 and a work ethic that that is extreme yeah absolutely. we usually it's... talk about work ethic as, as something that is expected but in, in his case it's extreme yeah, absolutely. Not not the toolsiest player, but just the mindset with him, the effort level with him is just off the charts, and that's going to be his ticket to the NHL. I think there's no, um, there's no tool in his toolkit that I can point to and go like, okay, yeah, this is this is the thing that makes you stand out. It's not like you know, no. I don't know, Adam Enstrom skating or Luke Tuck shot or you know that kind of stuff. He doesn't no. have an individual tool where I'm like, okay, this might work out for you, but just the overall game, the, uh, the, 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 effort level, the intensity. I mean, Brendan Gallagher had a great career. I'm not saying Vincent Zora is Brendan Gallagher, but if Brendan Gallagher wasn't as, as good, um, in terms of effort level and work rate, uh, as he was, he would have never made the NHL. I don't think so. You know, some players it's their effort level that defines them and it's their effort level that makes them such effective players. So Yeah, you know, and you need some of those players in the team as well. Players that yeah. just goes in, does does the dirty work and let the top players rest. Absolutely. And I think Rory can be exactly that for the Canadians. I think that that's a, a comfortable role for him. Indeed. Um do you have anyone left in your honorable mentions? No, we've covered them all. Do you? No. Perfect. Um, Let's get on with the top 10 then. Yeah. And uh, we'll be right back after these messages. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And on the top 10, at my number 10, I have a certain Finnish guy, Oliver Kapanen, Mr. Ketchup Effect, I've started to call him because he scores spottiness. Uh, he scores in spots and, and nothing happens, nothing happens. And then sudden, suddenly everything comes together at one end. Mm. Not all, also not the tooliest player, but defensively strong. Yep. And he has a shot that he's not using enough, I think. But also the fact that he's, uh, how should I say? I think he needs to work with his mindset because mm-hmm. when something is off, it's completely off in 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 offensive zone. Whereas when he starts to get that confidence back, he can score on anything more or less. Absolutely. I mean, you know, what's really interesting with Kapanen is a lot of his goals, even though he has a good shot, will come off of really good positioning. Yeah. Um, he's a player who finds soft dice really well, who works between checks really well. Um, the he thing stands is in front you... of the net and, and can lift pucks up as well. Yeah, absolutely. In tight, he's really, really good. Um, the thing that's really interesting is, you know, usually those players are a lot more consistent. Um, because they don't have to rely on a tool in order to, to score. They're they're relying really on their brain to create the offense. So when your your brain's clicking inconsistently, you know, I usually think of exhaustion, fatigue, um, mm-hmm. or just, you know, 
instability in terms of how you approach the game, game by game, your preparation, that kind of stuff. Because like, you know, if you have a, let's say Cole Caulfield, for example, if mm-hmm. you have a really, really good shot and that's what really drives your offense, you're going to, you're going to be really spotty. And it's, it's something that your team's going to have to live with. Uh, even though Caulfield thinks his way to goals really, really well, you know, he mainly falls back on that in stride wrist or on that one timer from the half wall on those kinds of shots to create mm-hmm. offense. Whereas with Kapanen, it's all mind um, mm-hmm. when it comes to, when it comes to his goal scoring ability, I think his playmaking ability has improved over the past kind of year or two. Um, I saw him as a, a like really simplistic um, playmaking wise to a point where it's, it was kind of hindering his game. And I've seen a bit more of that kind of give and go game, those area passes, those slip passes that I really like to see from playmakers. So like, I think he can still fall back on his playmaking game when the puck just isn't going in, but mainly um, this is a player who, you know, does the small details, does the dirty work. And it's, I, I'm, I'm really confused as to why he's, he's so spotty production wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but the end result is 24 points in 41 Liga games so far, which isn't bad. No, definitely not. It's probably not what I would have wished for. I would have wished for more. But you can also argue that, you know, born three weeks later, he would be in the under, in another draft. Yeah. So so he's also one of the youngest players. I'm, I'm 99% sure. Uh, it's an educated guess. I haven't heard anything from, from any scouts or from Kaplan himself or from Kalpa that he will sign with Montreal this summer and take the step over to AHL and, and learn the trade there. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's where this will be a deciding time for his career. Where will he end up? What In what role will he end up? For sure. Yeah. I, I still think at the end of the day, like, especially if this continues, I'd expect kind of a bottom six projection mm-hmm. out of F Kapanen, like a really good bottom six forward. And the thing is with the Habs is that they have like a billion of these. So it's just mm-hmm. getting a bit tight in the bottom six. Uh, I mean, if you they, they in... could leave Kapanen for another year before they sign him as well. We need to remember that. So, yeah. so you know, in order to facilitate, uh, if you can't trade, away some or, or or you need them someone else in AHL you can leave Kapanen in Europe for another year oh for sure um was Kapanen number 10 on your list as well he was yeah so um and this is probably where we're gonna end up having a little bit of a discussion I have yeah. Bogdan Konyushkov at number nine who do you have oh so do I uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like is the that player. because we wrote that fantastic article a month ago two months ago yeah, um, you know, I've I've watched a ton of him. Um, Torpedo is one of the European teams I've watched the most. They've got like two really really good draft eligibles, and mm-hmm. Anton Salayev and Nikita Artemanov. Um, and the thing with Kanyushov is, he's not necessarily a good skater, but he thinks the game at a high level. And I think the mm-hmm. Habs have done a really good job in recent years of focusing on players who think at an advanced level and focus on bringing their tools up and. In Adam Nicholas, all is possible when it comes to skating and <laughs> and offensive tools. So I, I think that at the end of the day, um, this might be very low um, in terms of the overall yeah. projection for Kanyushkov. Because you look at the points, you look at the role he's playing, not many 20-year-olds are playing top pair minutes in the KHL. Like, no, definitely. But none. also, yeah. with the Ukraine war, KHL is different. You have to promote this, especially the, the teams that are not Ska and, and Seska in a way. They yeah. need to promote this role. Uh, we saw that he was uh, rested for a couple of games now um, yeah. because of that usage. Um, and and with the big teams, they can rest the whole season and go into to the playoffs and still win the league in the end. Oh yeah, uh, because that is how difficult it is for 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 other teams to win than the big ones. Um, so I think that I, I I agree with you on the skating issue. Um, and when you look at it, and I spoke with some scouts in one of my recent times in, in, in an arena where watching an SHL game, uh, and they were saying, like, you know, his size is also a little bit problematic um, because he doesn't skate as well. His size becomes a factor into that. He can't compensate his skating with being big. Uh, and yeah. the, the, the one thing they said was that he is progressing. He's going forward uh he's learning the trade uh you know he got the right coach that's what he need to what you need to focus on and as we mentioned you keep the rights for Kunyushkov for as long as you want yeah and, and that is you know he's recently signed a, a three-year contract uh so you know 
he's he's going to be gone for a while. Yeah, absolutely. That gives you time to figure that out. Um, my my concern the question is, how... is then if if Nicholas can work with him. Yeah, no, exactly. That's my concern. It's like, you know, how much is he staying in touch with the Habs brass um, mm-hmm. over in the KHL while while playing top pair minutes in the in that league? Like, it's it. I think that's going to be the kind of game breaker. As long as there's a regular contact, as long as there's regular video coaching being done, as long as he gets some visits uh, where you know some on ice training happens mm-hmm. in the meantime. Like, I think there's a decent path. I just don't think that the KHL is necessarily equipped to develop him. Um, because the K- in the KHL, mainly it's a kind of sink or swim league mm-hmm. um, where it's like if you have the physical tools, you're good. If you have the skating tools, you're good. And then you learn to think the game through reps, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I-, I don't know how well equipped he is in the KHL in terms of kind of developing his, his, his physical tools because his mental game is really, really solid. Like he anticipates threats really well. And that's the thing when you're small and not the best skater is you're, you're forced to think your way out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's become really good at anticipating threats early, getting back early, um, you know, identifying situations in which he can jump into the rush, create an offensive chance and still have time to get back if something goes wrong. Um, and he's been working on a shot. I think a shot has improved a decent amount. His playmaking touch is really, really solid. Um, but yeah, overall, this is a player who has definite improvements in his kind of baseline foundational physical mm-hmm. tools, but the brain is really, really intelligent and in, in that sense, he kind of reminds me of the mold of Lane Hudson, even though they're kind of different players. I think the develop, the development objectives are the same, where it's mm-hmm. like the physical tools aren't there, but the mental game is so solid that you have to take a shot on this player. And I think it's, it was a really intelligent pickup in the fourth round, but there are still so many question marks that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I've come in at ninth overall for the moment. And, and, and sometimes when I watch the KHL, I end up with more question marks in regards to the league quality, in regards to the traditional team's quality, Absolutely. in regards to Kunyushkov's quality and his teammates' quality. And sometimes you feel like you end up with more question marks after watching the league mm-hmm. than you had before you started watching that game. Um, it's it's really confusing time right now. We know they're going to bring in more, uh, more players, uh, more international players, but it will be third-level American, North Americans. Um, yeah. and, and I'm not sure that is good either for, for Kunyushkov in a way because I want him to play against the best Russia has mm-hmm. absolutely uh, and, and then you have the same thing that you have they bringing up the juniors in order to compensate for something it's because some Europeans are, most Europeans are left and you're not getting that top line players anymore and the top players in KHL are getting old yeah I mean, so, all these, so you all have these a discrepancy are there as well, yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. There's a bunch of factors there involved in in the whole situation with the KHL, but you're you're definitely right. I think that the SHL has definitely leapfrogged the KHL in terms of quality. We can even maybe throw the Swiss National League in there, even though there's I, kind I, of a. I think the Swiss National League, the top end of Swiss National League, is probably better than the SHL. Yeah, I was going to say it's a very top heavy league in the Swiss yeah. National League, but um, and know, we'll come still... to that later as well. Hashtag spoiler alert. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Uh, but then I mean Konyushkov is interesting in that regard but he's also not very projectable I think yeah uh, as of this moment uh, and definitely not where he is in three years when he can come over yeah absolutely I, you know that's the thing is, yeah that, that's the thing is that with with Konyushkov like the brain is so projectable the processing is so projectable mm-hmm. the way he anticipates and thinks a game um it reminds me at times of Jaden Struble in, in terms of his ability to like play off of pressure um mm-hmm. and make quick reads in transition that advance a puck right but it's just it's just the rest that's just a bit confusing at but, the but sometimes he reminds me of Justin Barron when he plays defensively absolutely uh it's hit or miss it's it's really really hit or miss <laughs> but that's what you want with the fourth round pick as well and, yeah, and you sure. know it's, it's in some ways i wouldn't be against him being traded or bought out by ska or seska to get that systematic play uh you know he's he's probably in the right squad with fetis of his coach and he will give him the leeway and he will ask him to do absolutely everything yeah but on the other hand to get become a little bit more structured be set in a defensive system that works. Yeah. I think that would benefit him in, in some ways as well. For sure. I, I think it would help to have him move to a big program so he can kind of see what it is to play in a kind of more structured system. But at the same time, um, 
I feel like the more reps Kanyushkov gets in these situations, mm -hmm. the more he's going to further polish his brain. Like, it's always, it's always like, a, it's always a big de developmental question. It's like, do you, do you spec everything in your strengths or mm -hmm. do you try to round out your game? Um, you, maybe you, making... you don't start this conversation because I'm going to end up talking about, <laughs> you know, Brazil 82 in the World Cup, but. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, a that's a great comparison actually i love that uh and, and for those who doesn't know uh brazil 82 is probably the most talented team that ever put foot on a football field the problem was that no one wanted to play defense and they all played to their <laughs> strength uh, no one worked on you know any cohesion or or defensive sets i think italy had two score, scoring chances in in the quarterfinal and they scored three goals so there wow. we have it okay <laughs> Um, I have another player at number uh, 10, 9, 8, um, who probably should be higher on the list. Uh, I am in a setting of, of this list where I don't know where I go. I'll be honest yeah. with that. And uh, for me, that is Jacob Fowler. Great season oh. right now. Uh, you know, he did what he needed to do in the World Juniors. But I also think sometimes that goalies are voodoo. And then I also think, you know, and, you know, size doesn't matter, but, but, you know, he's not that big yet. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because I have a Fowler very, very high. We'll get to him <laughs> later yeah. on. I am, I am increasingly sold on what he brings to the game. This is a, this is a fierce so, so, competitor. So just, yeah. just leave that for when you have him and oh, yeah. tell me who you have instead. <laughs> oh, perfect. Okay, let's do that. Um, you're going to be mad. I have Otto Engstrom at 8th overall. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and again, this is just because there's a large depth of quantity in the HAP system where there are a lot of players that I put in the same range. Like Angstrom could have easily been as high as fifth on my list. Like the yeah. next the next four guys are really, really close. Um, but Angstrom for me is just he's so intelligent. He's such a fluid skater and he's learned progressively how to manage the 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 off puck game to um, as his coach put it very early in his career, play poker, right? Mm. Like this, this is a player who learned to go all in when he needed to, to fold when he needed to, to, to just call the bet when he needed to, uh, in terms of what he does on the ice. And I love all of that. I'm just not really particularly sold on his puck skills in isolation, becoming something necessarily high end. I could see him become a really good number four or number five mm -hmm. defenseman. I think that that's kind of a ceiling so far with Engstrom unless something comes out of nowhere. Um but yeah, just we'll, for we'll me... talk about him a little bit more when I have him done it. And <laughs> yeah, it will be before the break anyway. Uh, Absolutely. But uh yeah and and then I have someone I have Sean Farrell at number seven. Okay. Uh interesting. I Almost snuck Sean Farrell into my honorable mentions, but I couldn't mm -hmm. find a spot for him. Um, the season's been different. Up and down. Yeah, it, it's it's been different than, than what I've expected from Farrell in Harvard, and I think the mm -hmm. progression to the AHL has been difficult. Um, but yeah, I I actually don't have him ranked, but it, it was a difficult decision for me. It was just that you know there's a lot of players in terms of depth of quality mm -hmm. in, in this roster, and like for me, Farrell has taken a considerable step down that kind of just made me. Not forget him, but um, just kind of see him as a bit less projectable so far. But like, there's a lot of hockey left. You know, he still has some runway. But what really also, also for, for me, it's it comes down to you know, and I don't watch AHL enough because it's it's on the wrong side of the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it's the right side for all of you guys, listeners. <laughs> but but uh, you know, for me, I see you know, 17 points, 24 games. Laval is not you know. It's a shooting gallery both ways sometimes, but mm -hmm. but also, you know, you're doing that in your first year with the AHL, you're doing something right. Yeah, no, absolutely. He, he, if, if we credit Engstrom uh, or Eriksson uh, for his play in Hockey Alsanskan, I need to credit uh, Sean Farrell in the same way for, for arguably playing in a better league. Yeah, for sure. And the chemistry developed with Joshua Ho, I think, was key in that. I'm just, there's something about his game that's just, mm. it, it, he, he keeps to the outside just so much. Um, and he's really good from the outside. Like, he sees passes that no one else sees. I just don't see enough in the rest of his game to kind of project him as a bona fide NHLer. Mm. And with the depth of quality the Habs have in their bottom six, like, for me, it's for Farrell, it's either he pops off and becomes a top six forward mm. or he's just not he's an He's going NHL. to Europe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, who do you have at number seven? Uh, 
I have uh, Logan Mayu. Um, oh, I know right, the yeah. points. Yeah, I know the points are really, really impressive um, in the AHL. But the question marks that I had in this game in this draft year in this draft plus one um, and his draft plus two have just still been there. He's a player who reminds me a lot of Justin Barron and his approach to the game offensively um, and defensively. He's a player who struggles with his back to the play. He's a player who panics pretty quickly when he's pressured and tries to overdo it offensively as well. Um, the the puck skills and the tools are ridiculous. Like he has probably the hardest shot outside of the NHL right now. Um, he's really confident in the stick handling ability. I wouldn't call it the best, but he's confident in it enough that he's doing things that other defensemen can't. And he jumps into plays every chance he gets um, off the rush. Um, if it's a one-on-one situation, you're not getting around him. Like you're not getting past them, mm-hmm. but as soon as you add another player in that equation, as soon as it becomes a two v two or a three v two or two v one or any complex defensive scenario, mm-hmm. he breaks down. Um, and the other part of that is also like the retrieval play. Like again, this is a player who reminds me a lot of Baron on retrievals. Just as soon as his back is turned, there's no game plan. Doesn't really scan as much. Doesn't really predict what's going to happen and try to anticipate play and, and spin off checks and make a pass. Like. Those are those have been some major areas of concern since this draft year, and they've maybe they've maybe marginally improved. This is why I'm like, I I've liked him a bit more. Like in previous years, I've left him out of top 15s and top 20s, like entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I can see that there's a definite path to the NHL for Mayu. I just don't think he's going to be the most effective NHL defenseman, which like puts him in this range for me. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you, and I'll get to my ranking on Mayu in a, in a bit, but. Uh, you know, that shot will carry him into the NHL. That's what I think. For sure. For sure. 100%. Uh, so, so, because I don't think other teams will take him on right now, but you might showcase him. And in order to create that spot, someone else will take him on in order to at least make him into a power play specialist. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I think that that's kind of the pathway for him. But for me, the question is, is he going to be effective? Mm-hmm. Um, cause like if you're, if you're having a really good game penalty wise, you're going to spend 10 minutes of the 16, mm-hmm. like on the power play outside of that, what's your impact on the game? Like, that's a big question with Mayu. I think mm-hmm. that overall there's, there are too, there were too many, um, there, there's too much, there's been too much investment in him to not give him a shot in the NHL. Yeah regardless of whether he's effective or not. So I think that either by the end of this year or the beginning of the next year, Mayu is going to be in the NHL and probably mm-hmm. is going to stay there full time. I just, for me, I, I've seen this, I've seen this story too many times, not just with Justin Barron. I mean, I'm talking about guys like Rasmus Ristolainen and Nikita Zadorov and mm-hmm. those kinds of players that are overly confident in their offensive toolkit, but just really not like their confidence doesn't match their abilities. Um, but on the other and, hand, you have Eric Gustafsson, you know, he's made a career out of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you know, he ended up being like a seventh defenseman yeah. on the Habs, which like yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's 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 kind of the story there. It's like, can you be impactful enough on a game by game basis where you're 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 solidifying yourself as a top four piece? I don't think my use there yet. I think he's going to be given that opportunity, and regardless of the warts and the problems and the issues, he's going to keep getting sent out there because he's big, he's strong, he's fast, and he shoots hard. But I. I I just have so many questions about the mental mm. game with Mayu. He's just not there, and it hasn't progressed enough for me to put him any higher. Uh, that's fair. Um, and who do you have at number six? Number six for me is Philip Meshar. Um, I love this player, and I think you shouldn't really sleep on him. I, I still think that he has that second-line upside. Um, but it's it's been a bit on and off this year. I think he had a fantastic World Juniors, and mm-hmm. yes, granted, he was one of the older players on that team. Um, but still, what he was doing on on that big ice with his speed, with his skill, with his intelligence was just absurd. For me, he was arguably Czech, uh, arguably Slovakia's best player. And you know, with the depth of talent they had, like that's saying something. Um, but the players ahead of him are just, I, I feel, more translatable overall. I think that Meshar might have a difficult time, or, or might take a long time, to become a full time NHLer. Um. I'm going to talk about Mesha right now because he's coming on my list, but not at this spot. Uh, yeah. And I think what I saw from him in World Juniors, which is what I saw him the most, was the mm-hmm. fact that he, on the bigger eyes, had the opportunity to circle back and end up as the central focal point, more or less, in a dice when the five side is up. Yeah. And, and he ended up a little bit too far away from the goal at times. 
and he got the puck and he moved towards the blue line rather than bring it into the to to the uh, home plate area. Yeah. Um, and I think that is what stood out. And if I don't want him to do that in a way, uh, it, because NHL doesn't have the bigger eyes. So yeah. I, I wanted to see him play a more NHL style hockey. The question is, did he adapt that fast back into Olympic sized hockey? Or is it something he does to create that extra second for himself to think? Yeah, I, I think that yeah, that, that that's the thing that stood out mainly with Meshar is he uses a lot of cutbacks and, and kind of reloads um in order to create offense in the OHL as well. Um what I think though is that in the OHL, on that smaller ice, he's, he's doing it in a way that translates on smaller mm-hmm. ice. You know, for me, it's just, I feel like a lot of players think that advancing the puck is always the best thing. And sometimes the best thing you can do is cut back and reload and, and mm-hmm. rethink the game. And he does that a lot, especially on the power play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if he's if he's trying to, you know, he's mainly used as the puck carrier on the power play in that kind of drop, mm-hmm. uh, that drop pass role. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't like what he sees, he's comfortable just taking the puck back, reloading, having his teammates come back with him and just attacking in a wave. Yeah. Um, and in the offensive zone as well, he does a bit of the same where it's like if he's if he gets the puck at the half wall, um, he's not looking to play it down low every time. He's comfortable hanging on to the puck for five, six seconds mm-hmm. and kind of figure out what his next play will be. Um, he's a player who loves to let play develop. I, mm-hmm. I think that that's the thing that you, you don't want to coach out of him. This is a thing that you want to kind of develop into an NHL tool because mm. the player with that poise and patience on the puck that Meshar has with the skill set that he has, I think that's a great, great combination of tools that he can bring to the NHL. Um, and if he can translate it, if he can make it more of a of an NHL level um, mindset, I, I think that that's a really great thing for his mm. game. I have Adam Engstrom at number six. Uh, and I can see why he could have been lower. I could probably have him at a five as well, uh, mm-hmm. because as we said, some of these players are interchangeable. Uh, the thing is, I've seen the progression in his defensive game, um, yeah. especially, and, and I think this is important, uh, when he plays away, from, or when Rugler plays away from home. Uh, Rugler's fans, they want to see attacking hockey. They want to see um, goals. They want to want the team to push. And... With yeah. the situation that Rugler is in, um, it's it's not going that way. But away from home, they can play that kind of style where they need to look lock down the ice, where they need to, you know, play structurally sound games. And that's where he really has improved. He has improved physicality. He has improved coming out of the corners with the puck. Uh, the one thing that I, th- in regards to Rugler's situation and the way Rugler plays anyway, is that it doesn't play as a team all the time. And yeah. And I see a little bit of Cole Caulfield in, in Angstrom where he tries to hero puck the, the, a little bit too much at times and yep. it ends up going the opposite way. Uh, and that's that's something that, you know, definitely, I don't know if it has with his development or the team's negative development. Um, we saw it the other way, just, you know, Thursday night. He, he should just stop the puck and he tried to kick it rather than go down and block it or, or go with the attacker. And obviously it was a certain Jonathan Leckermacki that got the puck and, uh, you know, just roofed it. Yeah. Um, so so uh, th- there there are progression that I can see uh, in, in translatable areas, mm-hmm. physicality, um, corners, board play, et cetera, et cetera. I, I he doesn't get the same offensive opportunities this year because Rugley is loaded with offensive-minded defensemen. He has yeah. been able to take, uh, or he has had to take the role away from the top pairing that was thought he would be with Kapla, but Kapla is and and Engstrom. That was you know something didn't mesh there. It was a brain fart waiting to happen every shift. Yeah. Uh, so he has been moved on the order. He's been moved off the first power play unit. Uh, he's been moved off the second power play unit because Rogler bought a, a Swedish player from a certain team in Switzerland named Clawton. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's I see a progression, even if his points isn't projecting very well right now, or if he's uh, Rogler isn't projecting as well either right now. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see how he develops because this is another player who's really confident in his tools, and especially at home, you can see it a lot. Like he'll just, he'll just hero puck up the ice and, yeah. and do whatever he wants. But um, I, I think in a defensive game's come a long way in terms of his processing. I don't, I don't think his his tools are still there. Um, the, the the stick work needs some work. Um, the physical game is it's never really going to be a strength of Engstrom's, but it's you know it's come a decent way. Um, mm-hmm. 
but yeah, I, I fully understand having him higher. Um, like I said, the eight to five mm. range, any yeah. order you can put him in. I'm fine with it. Uh, and let's go for a break and be sure to lower your volume a little bit because I'm sure the PR firm has raised the volumes on the commercial. At number four, uh, or at number five, I have uh, Philip Mishar. We've already spoken about Mishar. Who do you have about uh, number five? I have Joshua Hua. Um, and, you know, Meshar is really good. Uh, I just think that Joshua Hua has a bit more of that translatability to his game. Hua um, is just so so projectable in the middle six. This is a player mm-hmm. who just is so good off the puck. And this is a symptom of having been a poor skater for so long. He's had to develop the off-puck movement and the off-puck positioning to hit the right pockets at the right times and kind of, you know, it, it seems like the puck follows Hua at times. Like when he's on his game, it just it seems like the puck just pops up on his stick, but it's just it's really solid positioning and anticipation. On top of that, Hua has a bona fide NHL shot. He can absolutely rifle that puck. And for me, the biggest, biggest progression in his game over the past three years, and this is the first player that I've really scouted from draft minus one mm-hmm. to NHL debut. Like the biggest progression since the start has been his playmaking game. He has become a really good connector of plays. Um and when you're when you're, you know, average size with bad skating. Um, you have to develop that. The give and go game is is your is the only way you can get out of trouble when mm. you're not a good skater and you're not the biggest guy. So like those progressions in his game have become ridiculously good. Um he's gone decent defensively as well. So like the fact that he's in the NHL right now, um just shows you how much he, he's come in his progression. Because this was a player who everyone had pretty much given up on in his draft year. Um and since then he's just just it's been this linear progression with him year after year after year he adds tool after tool after tool it's been so impressive to get to keep up with and yeah he barely makes a cut because uh if he plays tonight against washington he's, he's going to be playing in his 10th nhl game um but so yeah it just barely misses a cut for us um the cutoff for us so yeah really glad that he was able to make this list because uh it gives me an opportunity to talk about joshua Hua, who i'm a big fan of well not as big fan as a certain metric <laughs> i was gonna say yeah he's <laughs> <laughs> Which is also why I have Rashua higher uh, mm-hmm. in the list because uh, I'm scared of, of Matt, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I think uh, on I have uh, Logan Mayu on my next spot, uh, mm-hmm. and we already spoken about Logan Mayu. So at number four for me, I have Owen Beck. Great, that's where I have him. And and I mean, like we talk projectability here and. You know, he projects all the way through to at least a third line center. Yeah, uh, that's really the baseline at this point. And I think he can step into that role right away. He's just so defensively sound. This is the most defensively intelligent player in the HAP system. And I'm I'm including David Reinbacher in there. Like he understands the defensive game better than anyone. Is he? Does he have the range and the tools uh, of other of other defensive forwards? Maybe not. Like Nate Danielson, for example, in Detroit. Like there's a reason that guy was picked in the top ten. It's because on top of being smart defensively, he's got the range, he's got the tools, he's got the the size. Peck isn't the biggest guy, but he consistently thinks himself out of problems. He consistently outthinks his opponents and just he's relentless. Like I've seen him in in a random prospect scrimmage game that doesn't count for anything like work his butt off on the back check to lift a stick and get the puck um you know he's a player who no matter what the situation is will always give it his all um and doesn't do it mindlessly like i've seen players just run around the ice like like headless chickens just chasing back checks (laughs) you know without much thought owen beck has has layered thinking kind of blended into everything he does um on top of that he's he's become a true nhl level shooter like his wrister is a 20 goal wrister like it's a really really good wrister um his playmaking game's always been good but it's, it's even come a step up his skating's improved uh his physical game's improved so like he's he's uplifted his whole skill set while remaining probably the best um the best ohl defensive forward like he he's that good and playing in Saginaw with the likes of Zane Perek and Rodwin Dionicho now on defense and some of the forwards that they've added over the trade deadline like he's really really well surrounded right now and he's still on the top power play just rifling shots from the half wall like that's 
he's he's so good and i and i think that he's he's one of the players who i think has the highest floor in the half system but i also wouldn't put it past him to become to become a second line center either like he's got enough tools in his toolkit to yeah. potentially get that done although the habs have like suzuki kirby dog uh alex newhook i think that but, but if you have beck as a as a third line center yeah you're pretty well set Absolutely, like like he would be one of the best third line centers in the league. Um, if, if you have he a, you essentially you have an A two A and two A uh, center playing <laughs> yeah. to two and and three line. Absolutely, and I just realized uh, for the sake of everyone keeping track of this that I ranked eleven players. I'll have you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, shit happens, you know. Yeah, uh, but um, at number three. Um, I have uh, Joshua, but that's what I said. I was more scared of, of Matt than you were, obviously. <laughs> uh, but what do you have at number three? I have Jacob Fowler at number three. We finally You're get right, to him. Yeah. Like I said, I am a massive fan of what he brings to the game. This is a highly competitive goaltender. Like, and and not in the sense that he'll get frustrated if he, give, he if he lets in a goal. What's really interesting to me is despite how competitive he is, you can score two against him in the first period. He's unfazed. He comes out in the second period and stops every shot. Like the, the mental game with Jacob Fowler mm-hmm. is ridiculous. It's probably the best of any goaltender I've scouted. Like I'm Shout including out to one of my students as well because she's crazy in love with him. <laughs> but yeah, like when I say when I say the mental game is the best game I've ever scouted in any goaltender, I'm including Yaroslav Askarov. I'm including Jesper Volstead in there. Well, like, Askarov, we know didn't really have the strong mental game, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I mean, Jesper like Volstead, yeah, yeah. No, 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 sure. no. I, I, I like uh, Fowler. The thing is, goalies, man, voodoo, <laughs> and that's why yeah. I have him so much lower than you have. I, I, I see why you're having. It's also the size issue. I'm really happy he he has the opportunity to play in NCAA for a few years, and yeah. that the goalie situation in Montreal is so covered, mm-hmm. so they don't have to force him up into a situation where he he he's not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. No, for I sure. think I think he is, along with Wolochen, the the future of of Montreal goalies. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what I say is, with Fowler, we're talking about a player who's playing at Boston College, and all, mm-hmm. all due respect to Boston College, they don't have a Tom Villander. They don't have this kind of defensive no. rock. This kind of you know, a lot of their their defensemen that I really like. I mean, they they have three defensemen I love: Eamon Powell, Lucas Gustafsson, and um, and Aram uh, Aram Those three. They're really, really good, but they're not defensive rocks. They're mainly kind of really good transition defensemen, mm. really good breakout defensemen, but like their defensive game isn't their highlight. So Fowler's having to do a lot of the stopping. And time and time again, I mean, you ask anyone at Boston College, they'll tell you he's the best goaltender they've ever played with. Like beyond just the the mental composure and the poise and the competitiveness, beyond the mental game, he's highly athletic. Um, he's He's really good at making really difficult saves seem extremely easy like he's constantly square to the puck he anticipates play really well um his rebound control is really really mm-hmm. solid as well so there's just so much meat around the bone that that is really lovable with jacob fowler's uh, I, game i also i spoke with jacob just before the world juniors and and he i asked him about this transition into the olympic sized rinks and he was like yeah i watch video a little bit um, and then we we work out the new angles very very confident very poised as you say but also very intelligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't just work out the angles a little bit like that. You work, you know, it takes time. Yeah. And, and you know, you see it with goalies crossing over. And I think goalies, for, for goalies, the, the ring size matters the most. Sure. Uh, defenders, second most. And and then, you know, you, you forwards, it's it's different, but it's not that different. Uh, yeah. Which is, which is very, I mean, like, I'm super impressed with him. Uh, but it's just that me ranking goalies, I, I don't know where to do with them. <laughs> For sure. I, I've gone a bit better at scouting goalies over the years, uh, but it it's still a big question mark. Like I think yeah. I think my my biggest success story so far and the one on the proudest of is probably yeah. Esther Volstead. But outside of that it's it's slim pickings. Like it, it's a difficult position to scout, but I, I've gone a bit more comfortable with it over the years for sure. Yeah. Uh, are we at number two now? Because since I have ranked eleven players, I'm I'm just at a loss anymore. <laughs> For sure. Uh, I have David Reinbacher here at, at yeah. second. Uh, um, so do I. And and I think we're set in the start of the list. We're more or less set, and at the bottom of the list, we're sort of sort of set. But yeah, David Reinbacher, number two. 
we've spoken about being in a crappy team, but he is that rock on that crappy team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's especially as of late. I think the start of the year he was he was just a part of the crap. I think, I think you can say, but uh, as as the season's gone on, um, and he kind of settled into his role and became a bit more kind of comfortable, realizing that like he doesn't need to jump start every play and and jump into every rush, like you know, the moment he realized, like, hey, I'm just going to play my game, I think that's when he really stood out uh, for me. Um, there, there are two things with this. First and foremost, I, I need we, we need to mention this. This crazy summer, Brian Barker has had. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, that doesn't help him at the start of the season. Second, he was injured. Third, mm -hmm. he played in a man-to-man -man system, which he wasn't used to. And I blame this on the GM, because the GM played a zone system, yeah, uh, when he was a coach to the season prior, and then he hires a coach that plays a a a man to man. He was yeah. lost. The injury didn't help. I think he came back too early. Uh, there has been conflicting uh, conflicting uh, sources about his injury. Um, I have a source that uh, tells me that he also broke or fractured his radius in the arm. And I think wow. that hampered him a lot. Um, they went out with a knee issue, but I think it was the radius that ha hurt him a lot because you've seen him make mistakes uh, with the stick handling that he normally doesn't, at the, like until Christmas, more or less. Yeah. And and uh, I spoke to friend of the pod and friend of me and friend of you as well, Hardy, and friend to most of you, uh, Thibaut Chatel, mm -hmm. and you know he mentioned this with the with the with the man to man because I wouldn't have picked it up early otherwise. Uh, yeah. But also he mentions that. In every aspect of the game, David Reinbacher is playing better than he did last year. Mm -hmm. For sure. There's definitely been a progression. I think that the handling skill needs, still still is a big weakness. For me, Reinbacher isn't really as good as other defensemen of this kind of caliber at catching pucks and making plays in motion and also just... Mm -hmm kind of stick, stick handling his way through the first wave of pressure. I think adding that to his game would unlock so much potential because this is a hyper-mobile, really physical, really defensively sound um, defenseman who leads with a stick um, extremely well. Like, it's for me, it was top of his class, like his mm -hmm. stick work. It's insane. Um, but really, the, the handling skill holds him back a lot because usually I see him kind of stop moving his feet in order to corral a puck uh, before making a play. And in the NHL, you don't have time to do that. You can't no. do that. Then you it get just, hammered. Yeah. Either you get hammered like Slavkovsky did uh, all of his draft year, but, um, or you just kind of immediately get stick-checked and pressured and kind of look up and panic. And I think that's the main thing is Ryan Backer's panicking because he's still having to take a bit more time on each pass reception, on each you know puck retrieval before kind of deciding on a play. Uh -huh. But as soon as Reinbacher becomes comfortable under those circumstances, I think he's already intelligent enough to figure his way out of kind of the the three-second interval situations mm -hmm. where he has three, three seconds to think the game. If he can shorten that down to half a second by just learning to corral pucks better, I think they've decided or learning to play with better players. Yeah, that could help. That could help as well. You know, where sure. you actually get the puck on your stick. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. But you know, even in the NHL, you get a lot of bad passes. Um, yeah. And the, the good NHL players can catch bad passes mm -hmm. in motion and keep going. You know, so it's just I think regardless, that's the thing he needs to add to his game. And I think the more bad passes he receives, the better he's going to get at it. Right. Like, I think, you know, working on that, you know, outside of game scenarios, you know, working on that in one V ones, you know, training with coaches, that kind of stuff can definitely help. But reps help a lot with that as well. And the more bad passes it gets sent his way, the more bad pass receptions he has to do and the better he gets at them. So, yeah, now, I, I think it's important because a lot of people look at point wise or, or, you know, everything else. But he is the only thing I can see right now that will keep Cloughton in the top division next year. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a that's a strong feat for a 19-year-old, right? Yeah. That's, that's not an easy thing. And and the unfortunate thing for Reinbacher is that they've gone back to play a man-to-man -man with the new coach. So yeah. uh, so and and let's address that issue a little bit as well. It was three coaches in two months, if you look at it that way. But it was also the fact that the GM needed to fire the coach, took charge. And while looking for a coach, he coached a team. And it was the same coach as he had the previous two years. Yeah. So it's not three coaches in, in, in you know, causing panic thing. It's kind of normal to do this in Europe. 
mm-hmm. maybe not where you fire a lot of, of because of relegation you need to fire coaches early yeah i think it's absolutely that. And, and the market is not as saturated and you can't bring i mean like you can't bring in someone from switzerland probably because they yeah. might not have a working permit in in the rest of the eu or something like that and so, so you need to it takes time it's not like bringing in you know you're in massachusetts and you need to bring in someone from uh, uh from minnesota it's yeah. just you know it's the same country it's the same working permit it's, it's stuff like that that needs to that, that needs to work out in, in many ways and, and you forget about it yeah. but Reinbacher, you know i i see him as a staple at least on the second pairing for the rest yeah. of his life in nhl well maybe not yeah. next year but when he takes that nhl step because next year i think he will have to start in the ahl yeah for sure the way i see it is the high wherever Hudson plays, Ryan Bakaro play. I think those two yeah. are really complementary. So if Lane Hudson ends up being a bona fide top pair defenseman, Ryan Bakaro will be his number two. Because mm-hmm. I don't see anyone else that matches well with that skill set. If you have a Hudson Mayu first pair, who's playing defense? <laughs> if you know it, it That's if, a brain fart waiting to happen. <laughs> exactly. On on your second pair, I mean, you have Gooley there, you can maybe put Mayu in there, maybe mm-hmm. put some other defenseman in there and kind of have a complementary set. But like Gooley and Reinbacher are two players who play kind of similarly or approach the game similarly so i don't i don't see much kind of yeah and it's the same if you if you were to put engstrom at you know the second pair and play with weinbacher they're very much yeah it's kind of similar at least exactly so yeah for me like hudson and weinbacher are really complementary players so it really all depends on where hudson ends up in the lineup mm-hmm. um so for me it's just if hudson hits his lower end projection and becomes kind of a a number four defenseman i could see mm-hmm. weinbacher be the number three on that pairing be the player who mm-hmm. kind of allows Hudson to play with that more freedom um and, and that's Hudson... how you have to we, we can talk about Hudson now because he is number one on both our yep. lists absolutely uh, but that's how you maximize the impact of Hudson as well you you need to find that player that he will work with and you need to sign them to similar contracts yeah absolutely I think Ron Becker is that guy for Hudson um and you don't I want to the... change that player every second year or something like that that's what I was getting at for sure. Like the main thing with me for Reinbacher is, you know, once the plays in the offensive zone, I felt like Reinbacher was pretty much kind of magnetically glued to the offensive blue line. Yeah. He wasn't a player who would go down to the dots or kind of explore offensively off the puck and find little lanes to hit the, the back post, that kind of thing. Um, playing with Ling Hudson forces you to do that. So it, it's going to help his game a ton. And we saw it in the in the training camp with Montreal when Hudson and Reinbacher were paired together. We saw Reinbacher activate a ton. We also saw Hudson activate a ton and Reinbacher hit him in stride. Um, it forced Reinbacher into situations where he had the stick handle under pressure, where he had to collect pucks quickly and shoot them. Um, so I, I think that Hudson is a match made in heaven for Reinbacher in terms of helping him develop. And the opposite is true as well. Because Hudson is, as much as I love him, he's not the player who's going to be your defensive stalwart. He's not the player who's going to be backstopping every play and staying back and being smart. He's a player you want just kind of going gung-ho in the offensive zone and just kind of circling the offensive zone, doing his thing. Playing with Reinbacher allows him to do that. I think Mm -hmm. that's a great pairing uh, in the making. But yeah, to focus on Hudson, still the most intelligent and creative defenseman I've seen since at least Quinn Hughes. Like this... The level of intelligence and, and awareness that he shows in the offensive zone, the way he manipulates lanes, the, the way he stick handles out of trouble is ridiculous. And on top of that, a big progression in his game this year is his ability to make plays under physical pressure. So he can have a six foot three winger on his back and he'll like shrug him off and make a pass. He's still able to do that now. We also saw in World Juniors taking responsibility, uh, being actually a defensive stalwart in that, you know, age group. Uh, yeah playing top minutes, uh, playing hard minutes. Yep. And and I was expecting a lot more point-wise from Hudson in the World Juniors. But in regards to his overall play, it was standard performance. Yeah, and he still had the most assists out of any defenseman in the, in the World Juniors. So, like, despite the fact that he was playing on the first penalty kill, he was playing a lot of defensive zone face-offs, he still managed to put up the most assists of any defenseman uh, at that tournament. So it just gives you an idea of how effective Hudson can be in different roles. I just think that if you want to bring out the best out of Hudson, um, I don't think trying to make him a defensive ace is a good idea. Um, sometimes it's good to just kind of focus on your strengths. And I think Hudson has developed his defensive game enough that you can you cannot have to worry as much, especially if he's paired with a really good um, defensive defenseman like Reinbacher. You don't have to be worried as much about Hudson, you know, kind of rovering and doing his thing. You want him, you want him to keep his identity, is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. So, like, for me, you I, want I, to I play think, him to his strength, obviously. Ex- Otherwise, exactly. you don't draft him. 
exactly yeah and hudson's strengths are otherworldly like there are like i said i haven't seen a defenseman think and and move the way he does since uh quinn hudson like he he's just an elite processor of the game the creativity in his game is unmatched like his brother's eligible in this draft i've tried to like him um but he, he's giving me a hard time uh i think like lane hudson but like you turn the volume down by 50 percent. like he's he's kind of like half muted um yeah that, that's kind of the approach i have to him but like what what hudson has is just so unique just you rarely see a player with this skill set and um the, the habs brass said that said it on draft day when they selected him every nhl team has a player in this mold um and hudson could be a great great offensive defenseman top power play guy so the upside sky high for hudson i just think that you know wherever Ryanbacker ends up hudson ends up those two are going to be glued at the hip yeah. and it's going to be beautiful to see and and i think you know in in the next draft when you know you what you have in hudson you go out and and draft that player that you need to facilitate Hudson's game. It might not have been the best player available, but it's the yeah. best player for your team at that point. And mm-hmm. you can't trade for a player like that because other teams won't give him up. For sure. Obviously, I mean, this year there's a lot of options. I, I still think that the Habs could use a bona fide right-handed defenseman on their second pair because I'm still not sold on Mayu. Yeah, but do but... you take him at, as, as number five in this year's draft? It depends who's available. If <laughs> if Caden Lindstrom, Berkeley Catton, uh, Ivan Domidov are available, I'm running to the stage. But I love Zane Parekh, and I think he'd be a great add uh, next to Caden Gooley, either on a first pair or second pair. And again, it depends on where Hudson and Reinbacher end up. If Hudson and Reinbacher is your second pair, a first pair of Gooley and Parekh is ridiculously impressive. And having that top four would be ridiculous and would set up the Canadians for success for the next 15, 20 years. But... Um, I still think that they need a true elite offensive force, and they don't have that yet outside of Suzuki, Coffey, and Sofkowski. You heard it here. You you listened to a halftime prospect report uh, from Hadi Kalakesh on Dober prospects, and uh, you will you release your first rankings uh, soon, Rahavi? I know you. Yeah. There's something that we always look forward to. For sure. So uh, the uh, the Dauber Prospects rankings just came out on Friday. Uh, so you can check those out on the Dauber Prospects website. Just look up Dauber Prospects Top 64. It'll come up. Uh, we've ranked 64 prospects with like 16 honorable mentions. We did a good deep end job. So we're proud of that. And uh, my rankings uh, will be updated at the, um, at the beginning of March, I would say, is where I'm comfortable updating them again. Thank you so much for joining us, Hadi. And uh, thank you to uh, Mrs. Bexel up there because uh, she has been listening to this pod from one point of view uh, all the <laughs> way through. And thank you guys for listening. This episode was brought to you by Bet Online. 